life how could i keep it inside praise lord oh my soul
Yeah, when we were when we were preparing for this Sunday, it was this really beautiful kind of reminder. God kept saying, you know, I'm faithful, I'm good, I'm a good father. And there was this beautiful mix of praise with just the story of God. Like, we all have stuff going on. Some of it's really good, some of it's really hard. And I was just this beautiful picture of us as a church. We're the body, right? And sometimes we get to sing songs on behalf of others around us, right? And so whether you have a lot going on that's not great or have something going on that's beautiful and wonderful, like, we get to sing this next song right over each other. And I just love that. So I'm going to pray. God, I just ask that you would set your spirit on each one of us, that we would feel understood by you, seen by you, loved by you, cherished by you, totally provided for by you. And I pray that around us, like that we are surrounded by each other, God, that you would let us feel that, feel the togetherness of being in body.
grateful that we serve and worship the same God this morning, church. As we are in the midst of this Lenten season, as we are preparing for Easter, one of the things I want to call our attention to before we go before God in prayer is that this week as we are looking at our Francis initiative at the church, looking for who we can be praying for, who we can be inviting, who we can be walking alongside, we're thinking specifically about our relatives this week whether it's grandparents or parents, whether it's siblings, whether it's cousins or aunts and uncles. If you have people in your life who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus or who are maybe needing Jesus in the midst of difficulties, I invite you this morning as we go before God in prayer just to be lifting up those people specifically. So I'll invite you right now to sit if you need to. Um, if you have prayer, whether you have a need in your own personal life or whether you have a need for somebody else, somebody that you know, um, you may feel some hands on your shoulders if you do sit and just know that that is our church family that is wanting to come alongside you, not just to pray for you, but also pray with you and alongside you. So with that, will you bow your heads with me as we go before God in prayer? Heavenly Father, what a beautiful thing it is for us to be gathered together as the worshiping body of Christ this morning. I thank you for the ways throughout this past week that you've been working in and through our lives, Lord, but I also recognize that for each and every person here, we may be in the midst of great celebrations and triumphs, or we may be in the midst of great difficulties and losses and hardships. And God, wherever we find ourselves this morning, I just pray that your spirit will move in and through our hearts, that you will open our hearts and, and minds to receive the love that you have for us, the grace that you have for us, and the peace that you provide for us. And God, we think specifically not only of our own lives and circumstances, but this morning we just want to think over our relatives, Lord, those who are in our family circles, ones that may not have a relationship with you, or ones, Lord, that may, in the midst of difficulty right now, need a reminder, need somebody to be a light for you in their life. I pray that as we are moving closer towards the Easter season, that you would just put these people on our hearts and on our minds, that we would just have the courage to reach out to them, whether it's to invite them to church, to, to talk with them about you, or just to be a listening and a helping hand, Lord, to shine your light. May you just empower us and give us courage just to step into those caps, Lord, and just be an advocate for you in this season. And Lord, as we think of our global church, we also think of Ben and Diana Veerink. We thank you for the calling that you have placed on your life as they serve you across the globe. And so we just wanna pray over their ministry right now. We just wanna pray over their pastor training center, Lord, that you would continue to equip them and whether that's provide resources or manpower, whether that's to provide finances or whether that's to raise up leaders, that you would just be with them through each step of that process, that you would allow that ministry to continue to flourish. And we pray for their banner of truth conference that is coming up, Lord, that everything goes smoothly from the littlest of details and registrations and all of the little things to the big things, God, we just are entrusting you with all of it, that it will be an uplifting and edifying moment for everyone in attendance, Lord, that your light will shine through. 
And we pray for discernment and the provision of resources and finances as they are looking to purchase new property and how that will continue to expand and grow their ministry. We just pray that your hand will be on every step in that process. So God, as we prepare our hearts for the rest of service to hear the words of Pastor Pete, Lord, we just pray again that you open our hearts and minds to hear what you have for us, that we would be able to hear that still small voice, you calling to us. So God, I pray for everyone in this room that as we go, not only from this place and into the rest of this week, into the rest of this month, that we would just continue to love you and to love others as you called us to. We pray all of these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen. Well, you may go ahead and have a seat. I want to welcome you guys to All Shores Wesleyan Church Spring Lake this morning. If we have not had a chance to meet, my name is Aaron. I serve here as our high school pastor. I would love to get a chance to meet you and to hear more about your story. Speaking of stories, know that whether you are brand new here this morning or whether you are regularly involved, we do have a Connect card. You'll see a QR code up on the screen or you'll see one on the seat back behind you. Again, if you're new here and just wanting to know more about the ministries we have, how you can get involved or get connected with one of our staff members, I'd encourage you, fill that out. But if you're a regular attender here and again, want to update us on information, want have a continued prayer need or other ways that we can connect with you and help you find and follow Jesus, we would love to do that as well. So please feel free to use that resource. I want to welcome back our regular family here. Glad to see you guys. And if you're new, I want to give a special welcome to you as well. Hopefully you were warmly greeted as you came in. As I said before, we're preparing our hearts in this Lent season as we are looking towards Easter. So as you leave service today, you'll notice on the middle table out in the lobby, we will have some individual Easter invite cards. There's a QR code on there that leads right to our Easter website. And there's also a few blank lines where you can write a note to somebody and you can hand that invite card out and give someone a personal invitation to come to church on Easter Sunday. We also have some posters on the bulletin boards right as you exit the main doors that have a QR code to that same website as well. So you can stay up to date with all the information that we have coming up for this Easter season. We hope you, your family, and your guests will join us. And now we come to the part in our service where we give of our tithes and offerings. And for those of you that are regularly engaged in the practice, I just want to thank you for your generosity that has allowed us to continue to further the mission and the vision that we have here for God's kingdom, not only in Spring Lake, but also at Muskegon and across all of our different ministries that we partner with. So thank you for your generous giving. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you are a regular giver, just to continue in that faithful practice. And know if you're new here, there is absolutely no obligation to give. We hope that this service is gift enough for you. And so if you'll turn your attention to the screen, we have a few more announcements coming from Evan about the journey. Hey church, today is the fourth Sunday of the month, which means it is step four of the journey. If you don't know what the journey is, the journey is the best next step from one of our services to moving deeper into the life of our church. Maybe you want to know more about All Shores, or maybe you have questions, or maybe you want to get plugged in. Steps one through three, which happened earlier in the month, can be taken in any order. Step four is unique in that we kind of suggest that you complete 
all three steps prior to that before plugging in. And so if that's not you, if you haven't attended the journey before or if you haven't completed all three steps before it, my encouragement to you is look to next month, step one will start the first Sunday of next month, to start the journey process again. We want every single person in our church to get plugged in in some way that our church will miss out without you finding your sweet spot. And so let us know what you need. We'd love to help you get plugged in. Ask any member of our team when the journey is happening or how you can plug in. Welcome those joining us online, all of you here at our Spring Lake campus as well, for what is the second Sunday in what we call the season of Lent. It's a season of self-reflection, of introspection. We often think of it as a, a journey inward that we're asking and inviting God's very presence to examine our character in those areas He wants to continue to refine and develop and grow in us. <clears throat> Last week when Thad began the series, uh, we looked, and we're looking through the whole series at different parables Jesus tells Parables are simply like word pictures to give handles to things that he's wanting us to understand. And we look, are looking particularly at parables that are defining and cultivating the character of someone who's kingdom-minded, who lives for Jesus' kingdom. And so last week, what Thad taught is kind of a centering piece, and I'm telling you this before we, we go to prayer. It's a text where Jesus tells a story of looking for the log in your own eye before you look in the speck of someone around you. It's so the simple metaphor is that we tend to see all the flaws in others, and we don't realize if you don't really see what's going on in us, we can't see, and usually what's going on in us is more significant. And I'll take it another step to say oftentimes the very things we see in others that frustrate us are synonymous with some of what we struggle with. And so my invitation before we open the scriptures, before we look at this next story, is to invite you to pray and ask God to literally open your eyes and soften your heart to him. You know, I, as we're teaching in this series, it reminds me of another parable Jesus tells where he tells a story of two people who go to the synagogue, and one of them is highly religious and very happy with his life, and basically comes in and says, thank you for how awesome I am and how awesome my life is and how great I do the things I'm supposed to and thinks that I'm not like, and he sees somebody that he thinks is lower than. And then the second person is a mess, and he basically cries out to Jesus and beats, or to God and beats his breast and says, you know what, I'm a mess, have mercy on me, and Jesus literally goes, the second one had the more authentic revelation than the first. And so my intention is not for you to leave going, that was great. It's literally to leave going, this is true. But I want to invite you to pray in the quiet that God would open and lead and teach. And then I'll pray for us together.
Lord, I thank you that you not only came to forgive and free us, but you came to build us into people that reflect your nature in life, that you want us to mature and grow in our character. I thank you, too, that that's out of love. So I pray even as we open our hearts and our eyes to you, I pray you'd protect us from lies that are uh, just inflammatory and exacting and harsh. Instead, we'd hear your love, even in those things you awaken us to, that it's out of love. And so, Lord, I'm asking that anything I have to say that's not from you, I do pray it will fall to the ground and be forgotten. But I'm praying whatever is from you, that we would sense your love, your openness, your honesty to change us, and we rely on you to move. So, Lord, may the words that I speak and the way we respond in our hearts and actions please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So I want to actually begin. I'm going to tell you the very story Jesus tells. It's a very short story. And then we're going to do some things around it and kind of go back through it in much more significance. But I want you to just consider what do you hear in the story? What do you think the message of it is when you first hear it? And he tells a story of a father with two sons. He says a father goes to the first son and says, I want you to go out today and work in the vineyard. And the first son says no, but then leaves and considers it and actually goes out and works. Then it says the father goes to the second and asks this very same question, gives the same command. And the second son says yes but after he leaves, does not go and work in the field. And Jesus asks one simple question, which one did what the father wanted? Now, I'm not assuming you don't know the answer. It's the one that did what he asked. And, and it might even be very tempting just to go, you know what? Jesus is making it clear he's a God of action, not a God of intent. And, and so if, for any of you who are highly active and doing things, you're like, ah, it's my message. I love it. And what I want to do before you go too far is pull back. And I want you to consider two things as we're going to go through, not just the story, but I want to lead up to it. The first is, when you hear a story from Jesus or you read a story in the Bible, I want you to ask yourself, who do you normally think you are in the story? And then I want you to think about it with other areas, like if you watch a movie, if you read a book, if you hear a story, if, at least if you're like me, I normally put myself in the role of the hero or somebody doing well. Don't you? Don't you usually look and go, the other people, they're bad. I am not like that. Thank you for that story about me. You know, in fact, when I was considering this and thinking how most of us do this, I was reminded of when my, my kids were little, and one of my, my sons, uh, he wore a Superman pajamas that he liked to wear during the day often as well, and loved to just be that hero and walk around. But when he met someone new, and I, I don't remember how often he did this, but I had this phrase in my mind that he would say, he'd look at them and he'd go, you a good guy or a bad guy? <laughs> what are you? You, go, you a good guy or a bad guy? And I thought, you know, it's kind of how we often can approach a scripture is, hey, listen, I'm following Jesus, I'm a good guy, that's how I'm going to read it. And the reason I want to caution you as we go into it is, and I'm not trying to say you're all bad, bad people, but we often don't hear the things that are challenging because we consider that we're not that place. And it's not all one or the other. I'm not saying that, but I want, are you open to consider that maybe some of the things we see in people is more of our struggle than the ones we see in the people we want it to be of. And that is particularly true when Jesus is admonishing religious leaders. He's admonishing a religious culture. And let's be honest, for as much as we want to be and live like him, we all can have elements of that that we struggle with in creating a culture that brings help and comfort, things that we want of our lives that get confused. So I'm going to ask you to look at it Maybe there's something for you in the very characters you don't want to be aligned with. 
And, and I'll say that's true for me. And this has been a very, these next couple of weeks as I look at passages, I'm going, man, these are hard because I am finding myself having to ask questions of what of me does this? So that's the first part that I want us to consider. The second is just that the context matters. In other words, if I just tell you this story and I don't tell you what's going on around it, you miss what leads up to it. That actually gives a lot of clarity to why he tells it. Now, he says a few things afterwards that will even highlight it more. But what I want to do, this is in Matthew 21, is I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter and just paint the scenes for you so you can see what leads up to it because it builds to this story, I think, that he's telling that kind of encapsulates things he's observing and engaging in leading up to it. So what we're going to do, we'll come back to it, but we're going to start at the beginning of chapter 21. So it doesn't matter. Matthew is one of four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Chapter 21 is literally the point where Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and he's going to come in. This is coming in leading up to what will be ultimately his death the following week. It's what we would call Palm Sunday, the week before. So the story begins in this first scene that Jesus tells two of his disciples, listen, go to, tells them exactly where to go and who to tell. They'll have a foal of a donkey that you need to have, say the Lord needs it, and bring it to me. So they do. All mystically, the person knows. They bring the foal of the donkey back, and Jesus is on it, and he's about to ride into Jerusalem on this donkey. What will follow is people will see him coming, and they will lay down their cloaks, which you need to understand, they don't have extra cloaks. Laying it down is a picture of them seeing him as the Messiah, him being the one that's going to come. But the powerful picture of it is what you would expect with a coming monarch, a coming king, a coming Messiah, is to come on a horse if they were coming to conquer or if they were coming to win. Now, this is prophetically told he'll come on a donkey, but people don't connect it. When he comes on a donkey, he's coming in a different way. He's not coming to win the war, to rage the battle, to show the might. He's coming to bring peace. And ultimately, he's coming to be enthroned on a cross, which makes no sense. Agreed? So if you start just with that first picture, I want you to consider religious sensibilities and culture. Jesus coming on a donkey is very simply pointing to his kingdom is not what we expect. Now, even if we didn't get to the rest of the story and we just ponder that for a minute, can we agree that we're often in the culture around us, we kind of expect Jesus to start taking charge and we're going to overpower our will and what we want because that's the way Jesus moves. And it's not. So could it be even part of what God wants to do is disentangle us from this kind of model of human power and human influence and the humanity and the way we do things to win? And what he's saying is my kingdom is not what we expect. Can you see how that might shake us a bit? And by the way, this whole message is shaken, not stirred, in case you don't know. We are the James Bond of messages today. <laughs> I want God to shake us, not just nicely go, like, I for you and me, we've got to be shaken a bit out of these things of our religious culture that confuse us and conflate us. So that's the first picture we get. Now, as he's coming into Jerusalem, some other things happen, but we're going to hit the big pictures of this. It's just not what they expect. The next scene is he's in the temple now. And as he's in the temple, he looks around and he sees the area that they exchange money for sacrifice. And what it is, is they have a certain kind of money they have to use. They have to exchange it so then they can buy the sacrifice they are to make. Now, what they do is they make the turn rate of the money really unfair. They basically are robbing people to get extra money. They have now taken what is sacred, and they're adding kind of this monetary piece to it to benefit personally. That's what you'd want to say. 
So when Jesus comes in, he turns over the tables to the moneylenders, and he says, you've made this a den of robbers. It's meant to be a house of prayer. And he is challenging. It is not what you think it is, and you don't change it and insert things of your own desire and your own way into who God is and into his kingdom. What he does is he creates upheaval to their way of life. He creates upheaval to what they want. And in a sense, that's what it's saying. God's kingdom brings upheaval to our way of life. Now, I just, this is a forerunner. I'm just reminding you, okay? He's doing this all the way through. But can we agree? I think we fear God bringing upheaval to our lives. We worry so much, whatever it takes to keep our way of life, whatever it takes to make things move ahead, that we're comfortable, and then it moves in a direction that our lives are better. And I just want to tell you, that is not on God's radar. And it's not because he doesn't love us. It's because that will never give you what you think it will or what you want it to. And there's a place we need to be shaken. You're welcome, just so you know. I know you're happy about this. Let me move you on. He's now in the temple, and now something else happens. It says right after this, and after we're seeing the religious leaders getting angry because everything's being challenged in their way of life, even their religious sensibilities. And now it says, Jesus, the lame and the blind come to him. They literally are attracted and want to be near him, and he heals them. And then it says the kids start shouting praises, Hosanna to the son of David. And it really upsets the religious culture. They don't like it. It's chaos. It's not what they expect. It's moving into the lives of people they didn't think could be moved in because in their view, whatever problems they had were their own doing Whatever struggles they had were their own doing. What kids were, it meant to be less and be silent. And Jesus contradicts all of that because he's helping those that people don't expect to help in ways they don't expect them to, to do. And then he's giving voice to the people they say should have none. And by the way, he cites scripture. He says, from the lips of children and infants, you've ordained praise. Because he's going back to what the kingdom is actually like. So you think the lame and the blind, kids are singing? Man, his kingdom moves in the people, in the places that are unseen, unvalued, and unknown. Are we ready for that? Am I ready for that? We would all say we want those things. But when they happen, could it be that we don't? So this is sad. This is the sadness of my mind. So I'm reading this text over and over this week, and I'm picturing the lame and blind being healed and thinking, well, that's pretty good. And then all I can picture is these kids making a lot of noise. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, goodness, give me the noise-canceling headphones. I do not want to hear all this noise from children. It's too much. Not that I don't like kids, but have you ever had that where there's just a lot of noise? And you're like, I don't want noise. Like, I, own, I think I could miss this, even if it was great. Because I'd be like, could somebody turn the DB meter down a little bit? Like, you, you realize we have a lot of things, great and small, that can inhibit us from wanting God to do what he wants to do. I still remember when we were early in the years of raising kids, and <laughs> we had four kids, and you can imagine, four kids make a lot of noise, in case you don't know. And four children that have a mouth like mine make a whole lot more. So I, I said to Jane, why are these kids so noisy one time? And she goes, because they're kids. I hadn't considered that. I thought children were little adults that are not seen and not heard. Can you imagine what noises? God's people want to make that we find irritating and may not even want, and yet God's going, I made this to be this way. Have you ever seen somebody get really excited and we're like, that's a little too much? They're really excited because what they see God do, they can't explain, and they don't want to contain themselves. Reminds me of when David 
dances. This is David the king as the ark is brought back, and his wife's like, dude, dial it back, you're embarrassing me. And he goes, I'll dance even more. <laughs> I will humiliate you more because I can't help myself because I'm so pumped. I don't know you, I actually wish I would have more of that childlike wonder where I can misbehave a little more easily and just get un, unshaken in how I, I respond to things. We're way too dignified. Can we agree? Yeah. Let me take you to the next one. And the next one comes literally after he's leaving now. Uh, he's leaving the temple. He's going to head back to Bethany for the night to sleep. And it says he sees a fig tree on the path back to Bethany. And the fig tree has one leaf. It has no fruit. And he literally curses it. And it withers and dies. Now, it moves on to him talking about faith and the power of faith by this sheer proclamation of what God can do. But I don't want you to miss what happens in this, because what's a fig tree meant to do? It's meant to produce figs. So when Jesus sees a fig tree not producing what it was meant to do, he's cursing it because it is not living out the very life and vision God gave it. Now, you want to hold on to that, because that's going to come back to the very story we're hearing. It's central to it, I think. So it's a picture of what he's about to get picture to. And it's very simply this, that the fig tree is an image that the kingdom is meant to bear fruit. Did you know that God not only through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection began to bring his kingdom about, he's infusing it into us that it will bear fruit in the world around us. That's his design. Now let me take you to the last story and then we'll get to the parable. The last thing that happens before the parable is the religious leaders, Jesus is back in the temple and they're really shaken right now. Because everything he's doing is kind of rocking their authority. It's rocking the power they have and the voice they have for how things are supposed to be. And so they ask him a question. Hey, where'd you get your authority? What is your authority and where'd it come from? And Jesus, brilliantly, says, well, I'm going to ask you a question. John's authority, did it come from heaven or from earth? Now, John, in case you don't know, is the one who precedes Jesus. He's called John the Baptist. They're actually related, but he's considered what's called the voice in the wilderness. He comes first calling people to repent and to be baptized, to basically turn and respond to what God wants to do. In other words, let your lives be shaken up and repent from them so you live differently because Jesus is coming. That's what he's saying. Now, this group realizes if we say John's was from heaven, it validates Jesus' authority and we got nothing to stand on. And if we say it's not, we invalidate John, which everybody around here believes it's true. So they basically go, oh, we don't know. That's their answer. We don't know. Not the most brilliant response, is it? And Jesus says, and I'm not going to tell you either. And let me give you kind of the final picture of this, which is authority in general. Jesus brings his authority and his kingdom his way. Not our way and not our authority. And I, I, I mean, this is so hard because it's so true today. We have so conflated this. We think we know what Jesus' authority is. We think we know how it's to be. And we often demand of him what religious leaders did in that day. I, if you're like me, you're feeling comfortable. And I hope, it, I hope you do. I'm, I mean, I want us to feel it in a positive way. Because if our eyes aren't open and our hearts aren't softened, we can't actually be changed. Now I want you to hear the story again, giving this backdrop. So after all this happens, right after that happens, he says, hey, what do you think? Let me tell you a story. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first. He said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. Well, I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind, and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, 
but he did not go. And then he gives a very simple question. Which of these did what he was supposed to? And they all say the first. They figured it out. What I want you to see, though, is the story is not about either doing or saying. It's that one group said they would, but their actions didn't follow. The other actually resisted and wanted nothing to do with it, but somehow their eyes were opened and they followed. Listen how he describes it, because this is the part that is really the center of it. He says them, truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. Now you can put that today to whatever group you revile. You can fill it in with your own. Think of the people you think God would be most irritated and offended by that you have somehow looked and said, they are less than me. I'm living this way. I'm religious and I'm a Christian and I do these things and here are the bad people. Because we all do it. By the way, we've all made a lot of bad guys. A lot of bad guys and bad gals. He's a bad guy. She's a bad gal. And what Jesus is doing, he's saying, you're missing it. Because quite honestly, you say the things you're supposed to, but you don't do the things you're made to do. I mean, it, it's shocking, isn't it? And it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to hear. This is what I mean about being shaken. It, it, it's crazy. And then he even goes further in it. Hey, listen, John came to you show to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. In other words, when John said, repent and turn, live differently, they didn't believe it. And then he goes, but there was a second step. Then you saw tax collectors and prostitutes did, and even after you saw that, you didn't repent and believe him. In other words, it's a two-phase failure. They heard what John said. They went, we're writing that off. It's not true. But they're beginning to see tax collectors and prostitutes and all sorts of people that everyone reviled be transformed and start living, planting the vineyard of who Jesus is in the kingdom. Tell me that isn't shaking. It's hard to hear, but I think I, I personally have felt so convicted this week. I would, I would say it this way. I think our religious culture can make us sound like Jesus, but not live like Jesus. Let me, let me give you the, a simple way of how I, I see this in my own life and in many of ours. We are people of the screen and people of the news and people of podcasts. We listen, we read, and we critique. And our, we are people of words. And primarily what we do is we are telling everybody else who's wrong. They're out, they're wrong, this is that. We are people of words. And we've substituted being people of words and critique for people of action and engagement. And I'm saying that for all of us. And I'm not pointing any particular thing or saying none of you are trying or not. But can you hear, are there parts of our lives that this could be true of? Are there parts that we're so busy, caught up in the way of our religious culture, telling us we're going to keep pointing out who's in, who's out, who's right, who's wrong. And that's our job. Our job is to say what's in and out. That's what they were doing the whole time, by the way. The religious leaders were constantly doing that. And Jesus was constantly shaking it up, helping people they thought shouldn't be helped watching people become his that shouldn't be, and then watching them live differently in ways they can't explain, and it shook their comfortable, religious, polarized culture. Could that be something for us today? I think it is. What I think about when John came and then how it's spoken of is, John has said this when he talked about repentance. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, I think we need to ask, how am I living now, what am I saying? Because, man, we're too busy saying. 
And we're not moving enough actually out in the vineyard living and cultivating his kingdom. I, I don't know how many of you are doing the reading plan that we have for Lent. Uh, this last week, we've been reading the same story every day. And it's the story of Jesus watching people's feet. It's basically of his disciples, and he says, you need to go do this too. It's literally an image of how different the kingdom is, that Jesus brought a kingdom that's a kingdom of serving and loving and helping others in their place of need, not commanding and demanding and fighting for out of might in our own way. And I go, that's planting the vineyard. That's working in the vineyard. So, so let me take it one step further. I don't know how many of you saw that he gets us. It's, it's a thing, an initiative that happened uh, over, it particularly came out um, during the Super Bowl. And one of the many images was an image of a foot washing. And, and I don't even care about the details. You guys can argue about that to your blue in the face. But I, wanna, I wanted to point out the reactions. It was crazy to me. So people that were more conservative and more fearful the church would get in the wrong place screamed that this was woke and it was bad. They critiqued it. And then people who were progressive that were fearful the church was going to go in another direction said, you should have helped the poor with this. Everybody just went nuts about a picture of someone washing a foot or bubble feet. Like, do you think maybe we missed the point? I don't care what that movement's even trying to do. I don't mean it with any disrespect. But the idea that we would become people who wash feet, the idea that we would become people who are in the vineyard, who, you know what the vineyard is for us? It's where you go to work. It's your neighborhood. It's your friendships. It's the people you interact with over different events. When you're in school, it's the students you're with. When you're parents, it's the friends of your parents, of your kids' parents. It's, it's all these relational spheres we have. It's the places you go to eat and the places you go to hang out and the places you go to get things served. And that is your vineyard. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not like you think it is. My kingdom's not going to come on a big horse with big power demanding, and that's how we're going to change the world. My kingdom came on a donkey, and I was enthroned on a cross, and I washed my disciples' feet, and I died so you'd live, and I give my spirit to you so you'll be changed, so you'll live and love people differently. They won't come to Jesus for healing. They'll come to you. And you're going to hear loud, obnoxious voices praising him, and you're going to love it. And you're going to be a fig tree that actually produces something out of its life, not screams at everyone, telling them they're wrong for what they're doing. Oh, my goodness, if we could just shut down our media and our lives. And the news that I've come to the conclusion, I don't even care what your views on news are. I don't care who's fake and who's real and what. Bleh, I'm sick of it. Here's what I'll tell you. In general, it's all done to get our attention and keep us there and to basically keep us manipulated and angry at somebody. You know what? If you shut everything down and just live life, you'd be a lot happier, and I would not have to say these things so much either. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I need this too. I don't want you to, like, my Lent thing, I'm, I'm working, I this whole thing, it's called breaking up with your phone. My phone and I are on a, a distant, differing relationship. Like, this week, I, it's a process. I literally had to take off all these apps that sidetrack me, and they make me a person that's a Christian who wants to tell people they're wrong. When I, I'll do is read it. Well, how about if we live instead of watch? How about if we do instead of critique? What if we actually look for Jesus' kingdom to come in ways and places 
we don't have to control and we don't have to protect? What if we stopped worrying that our life has to be comfortable and we have to be the dominant force and it has to be our way? Because quite honestly, I think often that messes us up. The church does its best when we're not fighting for power, when we're releasing to Jesus' power. And I think Jesus would say to us, I, you may fight with him about it, but he wants us to be people that actually act and go into the vineyard day after day after day, <laughs> not tell everybody they're in the wrong vineyard or doing the wrong thing. You know, I, I got to the end of this during the week, and I thought, man, I, I'd like it to be that I could cheer you on and it would be happy and you'll all be pleased. And I, and I, and I don't, I think there's a, there are times where God just has to say to us, we're off. And then we all have a part in this to start letting go and to start looking for what Jesus is doing and stop telling everybody how he's supposed to move and be announcers instead of be livers of it. So here's what I, I wish I could tell you, here's what to do. And I, I do give the one suggestion to just, if you just shut your phones off and stop watching all this crud, we'll, we'll be better. So that's my no extra charge side note. But I'm going to give you a quiet for a minute. And are you willing to just ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to places maybe you're living more out of a religious culture and less out of a freedom to let Jesus bring his kingdom how he wants to? Would you let the Holy Spirit shake your eyes to see? And then I love the picture of Jesus changing our hearts. In case you don't know, this was prophesied for way before Jesus came. It, Jeremiah says these simple words that God wrote the commandments on the tablets of stone, but a day would come when his spirit would write them on the tablets of our heart. And what that means is the spirit wants to live in us to shape how we understand in our hearts. And then there's a second image from the prophet where he says, the spirit comes to take hearts of stone and turn it to hearts of flesh. So I look and go, what if you just asked the spirit to begin to open your eyes and you asked Jesus to begin to turn your heart of stone to a heart of flesh? And then you said, God, show me where I'm to plant in the vineyard today. So you pray in the quiet with that. Just sit and ask. When, I'm going to give you a minute. I'll pray for us. And then I'm actually going to put on the screen a corporate prayer that we're going to pray together as a means of all confessing how we live sometimes more like the religious culture than we do like Jesus' followers. You pray in the quiet. I'll lead us through this. Lord, I thank you that you love us and it's out of love that you want us to see and you want us to live and you want us to have your heart. So I am asking God, open our eyes, soften our hearts and let us be the ones that even where we resist in our words, we step out in our actions and become people attending to your vineyard wherever you placed us, Lord. And now, Lord, I am asking that you lead us as we pray together. So let me have you draw your attention to the screen. And we're literally going to pray these words together as a, as a confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, 
word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Uh, before we stand, and we're going to have a little space to worship and, and receive communion, it really is a place where we receive from God. Would you awaken us? Would you reveal yourself to us? Even as we sing the song we're in the whole series is about waiting on him. Uh, but I also, I also just long for us to be open to God keeping our hearts of love warm. You know, there's a point where Jesus says, the hearts of many, the heart of love goes cold in many. And I've never seen a time where I've felt that more. In all of us, not, not us in particular, just in the world around us. And they go, for whatever we see, man, we need our hearts to stay hot. I mean, our love to be there for people we've already written off and ways we've written them off and ways we've become combative because all we're doing is we're feeding back the way we're being fed. And if we're really going to be the people of God, his kingdom's going to come in ways we don't expect, but we have to wait for him to help us, right? So let me invite you to stand. We're going to sing. And really, it's a, it's a song of we need you and we're waiting for you. And then we'll celebrate communion as part of this time.
me invite you to be seated for a few minutes while we celebrate communion together. And I want to let you know this in case you're new with us. We don't have any rules or stipulations that you have to be a member here or, you know, kind of follow in that way. What we're saying is this is a sacrament. It's a sacred activity Jesus gave us. And if you want to pursue him, this is a way to move towards him, a way to invite him to move towards you. And then before we celebrate it, I do want to tell you this you know, I emphasized a lot in the teaching about the places where we're misconnected or off related to our religious sensibilities. There are also places where we can be the lame and the blind and the broken and the unseen. And so communion is the very place where we discover God's relentless, infinite love that he sees all of us in our brokenness and mess and dies in that place for us because he loves us. And the ultimate act of healing is found in what we celebrate at communion, relationship with him. And so I wanna be sure that we're all aware of that and especially any that might be in that place of believing you're unseen because Jesus sees you and we do as well. You'll see in the cups, the top layer is the bread, the wafer and the bottom is the actual drink. Those are the two elements that Jesus focused on at Passover. He took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body and it's given for you. And then Paul tells us later, the body, we're all the body together. In other words, Jesus makes us one through his very death, through the flesh of his life. And we receive that. Let's take of the bread. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, it's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And I always love the, the sense of this, that they would have just eaten bitter herbs to be reminded of the bitterness of being enslaved to Egypt, the same way we feel the bitterness and taste the bitterness of our own sin and our own brokenness. And the drink is sweet. It washes away the bitterness of that and brings new life to us. And we receive it, and then we go to the vineyard to bring it to others. Let's take of the cup. So Lord, I ask that your grace would be poured out on us freshly. And even this very sacrament might tenderize our hearts where they become hard. That you'd minister where there's pain, but it wouldn't lead to hardness. And you'd begin to unravel those things. You'd shake loose from us the things that keep our eyes from seeing. And move among us, God, as we wait for you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together as we reflect on his love and who he is, and then call out for his move and his meeting us together.
You know, in our fast-paced, futuristic world, we expect answers like that, don't we? And I want to remind you, God is slow to respond, but he's faithful to respond. And you know what? I'm not anticipating you leave. It's like, hey, I had no idea. I'm all better. This is an ongoing work God has to do in us. It's an ongoing work to ask his spirit to open our eyes, an ongoing work to ask Jesus to keep our hearts tender. And it's an ongoing work to go in the vineyard and actually sow things of his love and stop staying in our little behind-the-screen palaces calling everything else out. That's the invitation in the season of Lent. Grow our character, God. Man, it is not... Confession's not good for the reputation, but it's great for the soul. And let's just agree, we all have a lot to confess, don't we? Let's keep walking in it. Let me have you place your hands out and give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with the Spirit. Oh, may the Spirit shake loose those things that keep you from seeing. And open your eyes to Jesus and his kingdom. And may Jesus himself keep your heart tender. Move it from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And may he guide you to work in the vineyard, whatever place he sets you, day after day, for him, for his glory, for your joy, and for the kingdom and the lives of others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.